Amen. Thank you, Ed. Thank you, Debbie. Are you covered in the blood? Amen. If you're covered in the blood, then you're in good hands. Amen. If you're covered by the blood, then no obstacle, no challenge, no, uh, no person, uh, no problem is going to be too big or too much for you. Even when you feel like, I can't handle this, I can't get through this, I, I don't know what to do, just claim that blood. Claim that precious blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses you, that makes you whole, that saves you. It is the blood, nothing but the blood of Jesus that saves you. I'm glad that you chose to be in the house of the Lord today. We're going to continue in our study. We had taken a break from it during the holidays of Job, and maybe you just needed a break from Job, but we're going to get back into it because the best is yet to come with the book of Job, I assure you. Even with all the trial and things that he faced, if you'll just hang on with us for just a little bit longer, like Job had to hang on for just a little bit longer, there is a glorious promise and a glorious victory that comes out of this. Our study of Job has shown heartache, heartbreak, and humility. And it was, it's been tough as we've seen Job, this man of God, face many of these challenges. But for today... We're going to be in Job chapter 19, Job chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles, open it to Job chapter 19 and stand in honor of the reading of God's Word, Job chapter 19. So just to bring you up to speed, Job has faced a lot of challenges. If you haven't been with us, he lost possessions, he lost children, he lost all of that, and then he's covered in these boils. And his friends come, and for the first few days, they just camped out and sat with him and hung out with him, which is what good friends do. But then they couldn't sit silent. They could not remain silent any longer, and they started talking. And much of what they said was very critical and very negative and incorrect. Um, And so this is Job replying to the latest of Bildad's uh, speech that Bildad had just closed out with. But in Job 19, it says... Then Job answered, How long will you torment me and crush me with words? Whoever said sticks and stones may break my bones, but words have never hurt me. They they hadn't lived very long. Amen. Because words do hurt. Look at me. This, This muscle you have in your mouth is the strongest, most powerful muscle. The tongue. And it can say some very harsh things. And it can spread some bad gossip. And it can tell some dirty lies. And it can also say some very disrespectful things. And there's been many times where I've said something and as soon as it came out of my mouth, I wish I could grab it and put it back in there. Words do torment and words do hurt. We can use our words to lift one another up. We can use our words to spread good news. We can use our words to tell the truth. We can use our words to uplift and edify Jesus Christ. But honestly, just like Bildad... Eliphaz and so for many of the friends of Job were crushing him with his words, with their words. Verse 3, you have humiliated me ten times now, and you mistreat me without shame. Even if it is true that I have sinned, my mistake concerns only me. If you really want to appear superior to me and would use my disgrace as evidence against me, then understand that it is God who has wronged me and caught me in his net. I cry out violence, but get no response. I call for help, but there is no justice. 
He has blocked my way so that I cannot pass through. He has veiled my past with darkness. He has stripped me of my honor and removed the crown from my head. He tears me down on every side so that I am ruined. He uproots my hope like a tree. His anger burns against me and he regards me as one of his enemies. His troops advance together. They construct a ramp against me and camp around my tent. He has removed my brothers from me. My acquaintances have abandoned me. My relatives stopped coming by and my close friends have forgotten me. My, <clears throat> my house guests and female servants regard me as a stranger. I am a foreigner in their sight. I call for my servant, but he does not answer me. Even if I beg him with my own mouth, my breath is offensive to my wife. And my own family finds me repulsive. Even young boys scorn me. When I stand up, they mock me. All of my best friends despise me. And those I love have turned against me. My skin and my flesh cling to my bones. I've escaped by the skin of my teeth. Have you ever heard that expression before? It came from the Bible. Have mercy on me, my friends. Have mercy for God's hand has struck me. Why do you persecute me as God does? Will you never get enough of my flesh? I wish that my words were written down, that they were recorded on a scroll or were inscribed in stone forever by an iron stylus and lead. Be careful what you wish for. He got exactly what he wanted. But I know, Job said, listen to this, after all that pouring out of his heart, after all that, that frustration, look at what he says right here. But I know, I know my Redeemer is a living Redeemer. I know my living Redeemer and He will stand on the dust at last. Even after my skin has been destroyed, yet I will see God in my flesh. I will see Him myself. My eyes will look at Him and not as a stranger. My heart longs within me. If you say, how will we pursue Him since the root of the problem lies with Him? Then be afraid of the sword because wrath brings punishment by the sword so that you may know there is a judgment. Dear most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that our Redeemer is a living Redeemer. Thank you that our Jesus is alive, that the grave could not hold Him, that He is not dead like Buddha, He is not dead like Muhammad, He is not dead like all of these other world religious leaders. No, Jesus is alive and He wants to live within us. And so thank you that we have a Redeemer that is alive. And thank you that because of His resurrection, we that believeth in Him will also be resurrected. God, thank you for the honesty and transparency of Job. It's tough. It's brutal at times. But it shows us the authenticity of Scripture and how L-I-F-E is tough. There's struggles. There's trials. But you get us through them. So God, help us and teach us what it is you want us to learn today. Help us that we not only be hearers of the Word, but that we would be doers as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Job asks the question, and he is not asking a rhetorical question. How long are you going to torment me? I mean, these friends just really crushed him with their words and piled on. After all that he had been through, he barely had time to recuperate from losing his possessions. He barely had time to get over the grief and sorrow of losing his own children. 
By the way, word to the wise, don't ever tell somebody it's time you stop grieving. Don't ever tell someone, well, you should be over that death now. You, you should be way beyond that. No, Job's friends didn't even give him time to recuperate from the loss of possessions, the loss of all that he had in his wealth. He was a world-renowned person, widely respected, widely hailed as someone to be recognized, and he has all that taken away from him, has uh, his children uh, killed in a tragic accident, and, and then he's got the boils covering his body so he physically doesn't feel good. How many of you know when you physically don't feel good, it's hard to put up with some of your friends. Amen. It's hard to hear all this negativity. And, and they just kept crushing him, piling on after all that he had been through to pile on at a time like this. Now, I know we sit here today and we say, oh, Brother Chad, I'd never be that person. I'd never be that friend. Can I just tell you that sometimes you don't mean to be. But sometimes it happens. And that goes back to what I said at the beginning. A word comes out of our mouth that we, don't, we didn't mean that way or we didn't intend that way. And as soon as we say it, we're like, oh, I wish I could get that back. There's something about praying over your conversations and making sure that we're using our mouth to build people up, to encourage people, and not to be that critical spirit. His friends had humiliating. Job felt abandoned. Uh, If you've ever been at the end of Lonely Street, staying at Heartbreak Hotel, you know that a lot of times you feel abandoned. You know, you feel, you feel isolated and you feel uh, a, a person of ridicule or scorn. And, and I, this part, the verse where he said, my own breath offends my wife and my children are repulsed by me. This guy literally felt like the whole world was against him. And I think we all have that tendency to maybe overanalyze or maybe uh, overread into people's conversations, especially with text and and we get things misinterpreted right. But there's not a doubt in my mind, Job was interpreting his situation correctly. Sometimes in his frustration, he didn't express it correctly. But can I tell you that we serve a God who understands your frustration. That we serve a God who is very well aware that you don't like everything that happens and that you are uncomfortable and overwhelmed at times. And the best thing that you can do before your Heavenly Father is to be honest. Because he knows what's there anyway. He knows what's what's going on in your heart. He knows those thoughts that are in your mind. Communicating it to him, just as your earthly parents want to hear from you, just as your, and not just on Mother's Day, hello somebody, just as your earthly parents and your earthly friends want to talk to you and, and, and know what's going on, your Heavenly Father cares. Then that's a profound thought. That your Heavenly Father, the Creator of the universe, the one who put all this into place, the one who keeps it in order, that God, the sovereign God of the universe, the great El Shaddai and all of His glory and all that He is and His radiance and His beauty and His perfection and His holiness, He cares. You don't have some God that that, that sits on some throne and and is not aware of what's happening and doesn't have time for your trivial matters and doesn't have time to know. No, He knows what's going on in your life. He knows and He cares. I love how Job transitions from saying, my breath offends my wife, my children are repulsed by me, but I know this, my Redeemer lives. See, if Job was seeking redemption in his buddies, 
he was looking in the wrong place. If Job was seeking validation through social media, he was looking at the wrong place. If Job was seeking to be made right by the world and to be justified in the eyes of the world, he's looking at the wrong place. But he knew not to look at his friends. He knew not to look at what was happening on Facebook or Instagram. He knew to look to his Redeemer who lives. My redemption, my Redeemer comes through God. Many of us a lot of times put too much validity or too much value in what people think. You know, I heard it said one time a long time ago, your friends don't ever need an explanation and your enemies would never accept one. Uh, <coughs> Job knew, I'm not going to get redemption through Bildad. I mean, with a guy, with a name like Bildad, he's not going to be very encouraging, I wouldn't think. Bildad, Eliphaz, and Zophar were not going to redeem Job, but Job knew his redemption came through the Lord. Not only that, but listen to this. I love how he says, in fact, I want to read it to you again. But I know my living Redeemer, and look at this next part, He will stand. When your friends won't stand up for you, your living Redeemer will stand. He will stand. You know what that shows? That demonstrates an active, living, involved God. The God that we serve is not some God who sits idly by and just lets things happen. He is an active participant in your life and in my life. He is actively engaged, actively involved. And he says there, I know my living Redeemer, and he will stand on the dust. (laughs) Even after my skin has been destroyed, Yet I will see God in my flesh. I will see Him. I will go to Him. I will be reunited with Him. He knew. Wave at Facebook when you go by. He knew. He knew that He would see God. He knew that He would would see God and, and, and be redeemed by His living God. I love this part right here. God stands ready to come into your life and to be involved. God stands at the ready, not too busy, not too distracted. God stands ready and is waiting for you to invite Him. So He's ready. he's, He's waiting for you to call on Him and He's listening. And He has so many things that He wants to do in your life and in my life and in this church. And He stands ready. I love the image of Him standing. I love the image of Him available to us. But don't miss this. You have to invite Him. You have to, you have to accept. So look at what He says there. I will see Him, right? I, my living Redeemer, and He will stand at the dust at last. Even after my skin has been destroyed, yet I will see God in my flesh. He stands ready to pardon you, but you have to accept the pardon. Did you know that the United States Supreme Court ruled that a presidential pardon has to be accepted by the person? Did you know that a president has the power through the executive branch of the Oval Office, the most powerful man in the United States, and probably the most powerful person in the world, 
He has the ability to pardon the most heinous criminal that has been sentenced by his jury of his peers and gone through the proper system. The president of the United States has the ability to pardon that person. But did you know that the person he pardons must accept the pardon? The Supreme Court ruled in 1915 in a case called Burdick versus the United States that the pardon has to be accepted. That the person sentenced can deny the pardon and therefore not be pardoned of his crime even though the most powerful man in the world said, I pardon you. It has to be accepted. And the same is true of you. And the same is true of me. We have to accept the pardon. We can't just say, oh, well, God's forgiveness is available. You have to receive that. You have to ask God to forgive you. You have to seek His redemption. You have to be redeemed by Him. It is not automatic. It is available. It is available. But it is not automatic by virtue of you being born into a Christian home, being born into a Christian family, by virtue of you being a good person, by virtue of you sitting in a church on a Sunday. None of that, none of that gives you salvation. It is by accepting his pardon. If the Supreme Court said a pardon has to be accepted, then surely you understand that your pardon has to be received by you. You've been pardoned, and it stands ready to be granted to you. Will you accept it? Will you receive it? Look at Job chapter 20. Then so far, the Namathite replied, This is why my unsettling thoughts compel me to answer because I am upset. <laughs> you know what the Bible says about that word compel? May the love of Christ compel you. You know what that means? That means that's your motivation. That's your passionate. Don't allow your emotions to compel you. When your emotions control you, we talked about this the other night. <coughs> when your emotions control you and you're not in control of your emotions, that's a problem. That's a tremendous problem. We see it in America today. People flashing out over the craziest things. People calling 911 because McDonald's frosty machine wasn't working. No. I ordered my Frosty. I want my Frosty. They won't provide my Frosty. Call 911. That's an emergency. I'm going to tell you, to this entitled culture it is. To this culture of entitlement that thinks they are entitled to things. Oh, it's an absolute emergency. Some of you are like Dustin Hoffman and Rain Man. People's Court, People's Court comes on at 3 p.m. I, I, I got to be somewhere. You remember Tom Cruise drove everywhere and walked up to a stranger's house so that his brother could see Judge Watner. Judge Watner comes on the screen. Judge, Judge Watner, I got, I got to see. Knocks on a stranger's door. My brother's got issues. Amen. Don't we all have brothers that have issues? My brother has issues. He's got to watch Judge Watner. Can he come in and watch? You see, we laugh at that. We giggle. But you know what? Some of you are just like that. If it doesn't go just like you think, or if it doesn't go the way you want it, or the way you expected it, you have a meltdown. You have a fit. You have a tantrum. You get spun up. Because it's got to go your way, right away. He says there, I have heard a rebuke that insults me. And my understanding makes me reply, Don't you know that ever since antiquity, from the time man was placed on earth, the joy of the wicked has been brief, and the happiness of the godless has lasted only a moment? 
He's accusing his own friend, Job. Righteous Job! Who lived his life as an example. He's accusing him of wickedness. Though his arrogance reaches heavens and his head touches the clouds, he will vanish forever like his own dung. Those who know him will ask, where is he? He will fly away like a dream and never be found. He will be chased away like a vision in the night. The eye that saw him will see him no more and his household will no longer see him. His children will beg from the poor for his own hands must give back his wealth. His bones may be full of youthful vigor but will lie down with him in the grave though evil tastes sweet in his mouth and he conceals it under his tongue. Though he cherishes it and will not let it go but keep it in his mouth yet the food in his stomach turns into cobra's venom inside him. He swallows wealth, but must vomit it up. God will force it from his stomach. He will suck the poison of cobras. A viper's fangs will kill him. He will not enjoy the streams, the rivers flowing with honey and cream. Can you imagine your friend lecturing you like this? He must return the fruit of his labor without consuming it. He doesn't enjoy the profits from his trading, for he oppressed and abandoned the poor. He seized the house he did not build. Because his appetite is never satisfied, he does not let anything he desires escape. Nothing is left for him to consume. Therefore, his prosperity will not last. At the height of his success, distress will come to him. The full weight of misery will crush him. When he fills his stomach, God will send his burning anger against him, raining it down on him while he is eating. If he flees from an iron weapon, an arrow from a bronze bow will pierce him. He pulls it out of his back, the flashing tip out of his liver. Terror comes upon him. Total darkness is reserved for his treasures. A fire unfanned by human hands will consume him. It will feed on what is left in his tent. The heavens will expose his inequity and the earth will rise up against him. The possessions in his house will be removed, flowing away on the day of God's anger. This is the wicked man's lot from God, the inheritance God ordained for him. I'm just going to tell you that, again, you don't need friends like Job had. But if you happen to come across one of them, and you happen to hear some of this same ignorance, because there is a theology that even exists in society today that a person that is sick, that a person that is struggling with an illness or a health issue has sin in their life and that this is the way of God. In fact, you'll remember in the Gospels, the Pharisees asked about the man with the withered hand. They said, Jesus, who sinned? This man, the one with the withered hand, or his parents? And, and we look at that and go, that's such a, a terrible view. But do you know that there are churches and entire denominations that have been built on the fact that if you had enough faith, if you were living a righteous life, you would not have these issues. You would not have... Listen to me. From the time that you were born into this world of sin, sorrow, and sickness, there will always be sin, sorrow, and sickness. But thank God we have a Savior that delivers us from that. But by being delivered from that and into salvation, that does not mean that the life you still live on this earth will not be full of sickness and sorrow and hardship and stress. There will still be days of struggle and trial. The difference is you have a Redeemer who stands available 
to walk with you through the trial, to walk with you during the sickness, to hold your hand during the days you feel abandoned by friends, during days that you feel isolated and alone and dejected and depressed. We don't need friends like Job, that's for sure. Job's friends came at him like bullets from an AR, fast and furious. Right after, right after all that he had gone through to come at him like that. But look at what he goes back to in, in 19. I want to say it to you again. It reminds me of the song by Nicole C. Mullins. Well, I know my Redeemer lives. All of creation testifies. This life within me cries. And I know my Redeemer lives. The very same God that spins things in orbit runs to the weary, the worn, and the weak. And the same gentle hands that hold me when I'm broken, they conquer death to bring me victory. Amen. I know my Redeemer lives. Are you able to go through heartache, heartbreak, and humility and still sing, My Redeemer lives? Are you able to take the jabs and the accusations of friends and acquaintances and still press on? Job was not defined by his trials, but by his ability to rise above them. Verse 23 and 24 of Job 19 are a little ironic because we know the other part of the story. But Job cried out in that prayer. You remember he said, I wish that my words were written down, that they were recorded on a scroll or were inscribed in stone forever by an iron stylus and lead. Job is the oldest book in the Bible. And it answers the oldest question ever asked. Why is there suffering in this world? And Job's prayer, I wish that my words were written down. Job, you got that one. And then he says that they were recorded on a scroll or inscribed in stone forever by an iron stylus and lead. Go look at your history of how we got the Bible. It's recorded on papyrus originally written on literally what came to be paper, but it was papyrus and it was recorded down. The oldest book in the Bible, the oldest written book is Job. And he got his wish that his story was written down and we're still talking about it 6,000 years later. Job is not defined by his suffering. He is defined by his ability to rise above it. Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, there may be someone here today that is facing a trial or coming out of one or going into one.